Hello there, everyone, again on another lovely day in Melbourne. Lovely, soft rain out there. It is coming on, I think it's only got about a week and we'll be in spring. But we're springing into 3CR here, 3CR, your only radio left and time for Left After Breakfast. Susanna here with you again. Susanna Duffy joined, of course, by my co-host, Glenn, the resident historian, 3CR's resident, his and her historian, our historian, with the story of our struggles. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Susanna, and of course, good morning to listener out there. And um, is it a week till spring starts? Oh, the Vinley Chronos was about the 20th of September. Well, week and a bit. The night of the 21st is the equal, well, equinox, equal night, equal day, yeah. yeah. Anyway, spring's almost upon us. Tadpoles are out. Hop around. And I heard a bird yesterday that I hadn't heard since last year. What was that, a a warbler? Something. It was a bird that I associate with spring. It might be a, a, a warbler of some sort. Are one of the wattle eaters also? Curlew, something. Well, wattle eaters are common around springtime as, as flowers are blossoming. Well, the wattle's certainly out, isn't it? We saw a lot of wattle last week over in New South Wales. There's wattle and water everywhere. The two WATs were everywhere, wattles and water. Wattles and water. Are flooding across the Riverina, flooding. We went to Grongrong and the road. The road from the Riverina to Grongrong was open, but we couldn't get past Grongrong across the Matong. And the back road from Wagadi Rana was washed out, so a lot of water around the Riverina. A lot of water there. Mm, very wet over the border. We've been warned, I hope you notice this, listener, and take really good note of it and attention to it, that we have been warned of a very, very bad summer with ferocious fires. That was the word used, ferocious. And the, the, the Bureau of Meteorology spokesman on the fires said it's not a question of if we have serious fires, it's when. And, and all we've that, had them before. It's because we've had... Um, a few years have gone by and we've got more growth and we had that extra rain this year. It's if the rain soaks in. If the rain soaks in, it's okay. It's when the rain rain runs off, it's not good. But it's brought up all this new foliage. Oh, yeah. Look, it's the paddocks. I mean, you go, we did the back row from Wang over to Corrib and across the Randra and from stuff. Wang. To Wang to Corrib and across Where's the, Wang? Wangaratta. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Then across in the Randra and Grongrong and those places. And um, look, the paddocks, the, the farmers can't say it's been another bad year. The crops and the wheat and the canola are four, five foot high. There is growth everywhere. So please don't say, oh, another bad year for the poor farmers because there's stuff growing left, right, and centre. Well, that must be bad for the farmers. Oh, everything is bad. Look, it, one of the things about contemporary strategies. I just find this whole issue is um, the anti-intellectualism, the whole focus now that young people are talking, you know, be a celebrity, don't, don't be a thinker, go, go into business or be a celebrity. You can be like like Fev or Lara Bingle and, you know. Whoever these people well, be, are. These, are. these are models for young people, not just in Australia. I was looking at um, George Monbiot a while ago and he said in England he did some research. Well, that 20% of young people aged 14 to 21 want to be celebrities. Who are you? George Monbiot, a British writer. Did some research. Young people, around a quarter of the young people interviewed. I know who you mean. I just hadn't. What are we celebrities? Name like that. But that's okay. Um, again, you can be on the show like The Brick or Big Brother and these sort of shows. And, and again, in our modern society, I can't. We can't. But if you're a photo, that's your aspiration. Being on, on the on the Brick or Master Cook, you know, that's that's what it's all about. You can be a celebrity. Well, we've got to be careful, right? People I know watch Master yeah, Chef, for example, we have a your friend and mine, Michelle. 
Hi, hi Shelley. Up in um, North Fitzroy there, yes. really likes that Master Chef. Oh, but, but, but Stepdaughter watches it too. <laughs> I know those things. They, they, Why do they, they, they do it? Because Why they can. Why do they do it? But again, what I'm saying is, in contem- our contemporary world, will they be encouraged to be great thinkers like scientists or medicos or artists or thinkers? We're encouraged to be celebrities. And, um, and it coincides with this whole anti-intellectual viewpoint. Um, you hear people very intelligent called you know, wankers or elites, you know, the elites. Well, I want to speak about a bloke from the bush one day. He's from the bush. And he was a great thinker. And he was a great Australian who um, we've actually forgotten him. He was um, the psychiatrist, John Cade. You heard of blank, John Cade? Blank face for me, okay. which the listener can't see, hopefully. John Cade was born in 912. He's, um, now, most reports say he was born at Matoa. Some say he was born at Horsham. Now, hello, Matoa. Hello, Brett Davidson, a so, new wife. And hello, Bob Skates in Matoa. So, he's, so Bob's still in Matoa, is he? Bob has moved. Se- selling his house. He's moved. Him and Denise in St. Arnold still. And Bob's moved from St. Arnold to Matoa. And my friend Brett's moved from Burwood to Matoa. But um, Matoa's somewhere in the Wimmera. Somewhere in the Wimmera. 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 Up Wimmera past Wimmera. Horsham. Wimmera. Wimmera. And Sorry. John Cade was born in 912. And he was... um John Cade. C-A-D-E. Mm. You've, if you go to Royal Melbourne Hospital, the major psychiatric unit is a John Cade unit. Yes, it is. He was a famous psychiatrist. Yes, it is. And there, Cade was... um, his, like Cade, like his father, chose the medical field. His father was a GP. His father saw action in the first OF in France and came back from the war. He just he was a bit tired of the war, but sort of burnt out. He became the the what was the correct title of written article? He became the medical superintendent of the Sunbury Medical Hospital, mental hospital. When they had the big institutions, Kalula, La Rundle, Pleasant View, and John Cade Senior was the medical director out at Sunbury. John Cade followed his father's footsteps. He um he was educated at Scots College. He was married in St. Patrick's Cathedral in 1936. He worked at St. Vincent's for a while. He worked at the Royal Children's Hospital for a while. And war broke out. Unlike his father, he joined the army as a medico. And he was sadly in Singapore when Singapore fell. And as we know, Singapore was impregnable. It was one of the jewels of the empire. The British couldn't lose Singapore. Well, they did. In two months, the Japanese conquered Malaysia and Singapore, and 80,000 Allied troops, British, Indian, and Australian, became POWs. So for three years, John Kay was in Changi Prison as a POW. After World War II, he was repatriated back to Australia. He returned to the medical field, and um, his specialty was psychiatry. And he became one of the medical directors at the old Royal Park Medical Institute over in Mandurah. And he um he noticed he did a whole of experiments and I'm not a toxicologist, so please don't ask me explain the toxicology of this. He did work of guinea pigs and urine levels and introduction of lithium. Oh yes. And lithium was a stabilizer. So using lithium on tests on guinea pigs, he stabilized their, their moods. And for well, he had these moody bloody guinea pigs. Oh, there's nothing worse than a moody guinea pig. Now listen up. Listen, is there anything worse than a moody guinea pig? Well, you notice in the, when he was a PW Chang, you notice some other prisoners are up and down about all over the place. And you would be as a PW of Japanese. You had horrible experiences. But he just noticed some behavioural changes and he's intrigued by it. And um, he did tests on these guinea pigs and he became the father. He discovered what was called lithium as a treatment for bipolar affective disorder. In the old days, bipolar affective disorder was called manic, manic depression. depression yeah. And how were you treated in the old days? You were manacled, or you were given electroconvulsive electro- treatment, or you had a long prison hospital. 
cage drusillium to stabilize patients with this disorder. And um, we know some famous people with that disorder. Uh, a, good, a good comrade of mine, Neil Cole, former MP, legal service. He's a playwright nowadays. Neil suffers from bipolar affective disorder. And Neil's had a great career in his chosen field, you know. So it's not an illness which, you know, finishes your life. But lithium was a way of stabilizing those who were unwell. They estimate, was it 1.8% of Australian males and 1.7% of Australian females in any 12 months suffer from bipolar affective disorder. That's a lot of people. It is. It's a lot of people. And then, again, that's like out of 1,000 people, 18 men and 17 women have bipolar affective disorder at any given time. And Cade's groundbreaking work in lithium led to new advancements in treatment. There's less electroshock treatment, less manacling of patients. You have your lithium. And have manacling. F- but they did those things. Before Cade used lithium to treat this disorder, people were manacled and shackled and given electroshock treatment. And Cade made it more human. He made huge advances here, you know. And um, he spent a long time at Royal Park Hospital. Eventually went to the UK for a while, looking at psych hospitals in England, and he, he came up with sort of new ideas, you know. Because in the old days, Australian psych hospitals were very, very authoritarian. And in the UK, discovered group therapy, having groups, discussing stuff, bring people together to their illnesses, their issues. And he brought it back to Australia as a new way of treating patients. And again, six years later, as a health worker, I'm where the value of groups of our patients, you know. Let's have a bit of a talk. Let's discuss what's happening in your day. How are you feeling with your issues? How do you treat these issues? Okay. Group treatment was a, a, wasn't an invention of Cade's. Cade brought it back to Australia as a way of, you know, changing how people perceive things, you know. And um, they were major advances. He worked at the Royal Park Sacred Hospital. He worked at La Rundle. He spent time at St. Vincent's. He, um, he was one of the key leaders of changes to our mental health treatment in Australia. He also paid a lot of attention to alcoholism. Now, as we know, alcoholism is a bit of a generic term, but um, for those who are heavy drinkers who have health issues, he said, you know, let's seek early treatment. You should, let's use thiamine as a way of treating alcoholism, which, again, was a new advancement. The vitamin, yeah. the vitamin B group. It's in Vegemite. I yeah. know it's hmm. written on the jar of Vegemite. Whatever thiamine does, it but, is. But Cade used it for treatment, like lithium for bipolar affective disorder. Cade yeah. broke new ground here. Lithium affects the flow of sodium through yeah. nerve and muscle yeah. cells through the body, yes. and it's sodium which affects excitation or yes. mania. Yes, listener, I'm reading from my Google result. So it affects excitation or mania. So sodium, isn't sodium salt? Yes, it is salt. So if you have too much salt, you can go manic. Yeah. Bear, bear that a warning to you, listener. But it can bring you down also. That's what Kate was saying. Uh, we can use things. We can use new treatments like lithium for bipolar affective disorder. We can use also thiamine for alcohol issues. Um, it's interesting in the US, lithium wasn't used. They, they refused to use lithium until 1970 for treatment for bipolar affective disorder. And since 1970, they've used bipolar, sorry, they've used lithium as treatment. Um, John Cade received a series of awards in America. He was recognised by the Americans eventually as a fantastic psychiatrist, one of the world leaders, which is what he was. Um, John Cade was also one of the earliest recipients of the Order of Australia. Uh, we know there was no Order of Australia before Whitlam came in. These are medals after Whitlam came the pair. And in 1976, under Fraser, John Cade received the Order of Australia. He, um, he was one of the. His, his life still. His work still goes on. John Cade died at St Vincent's on November the sixteenth, nineteen eighty. He's buried at Yan Yan Cemetery just outside of Whittlesea, 
And um, yeah, but his his work goes on. There's awards dedicated to John Kane. The psych unit at Royal Melbourne dedicated to John Kane. He's recognised around the world as one of the, the leading medical thought pro, well, medical thinkers of the 20th century. So when you see stuff, you know, the elites and people that think of wankers, and you know, we talk about stuff like you know the intellectual sort of mindset and the celebrities. What's the idea? They don't like people who can think, you know. What was that bloke, that that Carl Sandlands, that that bloke on the TV show, he described uh, intellectuals as wankers, you know. Well, what sort of culture are we encouraging in Australia? Intellectuals are wankers. I don't know what he's still doing on air. But but these people, they get paid lots of money. They're all educated themselves. But if you're educated and you can think, you're put down as as a wanker or as an elite. I'm not saying Cade was ever put down. We forget him. We we focus on celebrities like, you know, Favre or Lara Bingle. I don't know who these people are. You'll see them on on posts and billboards around. Young people talk about these celebrities, you know, and... I don't know half enough. I know those terms. I also don't know, but I'm saying we don't discuss our great thinkers like Howard Florey, John Cade, two of the greatest medical minds of the 20th century, both Australians. We don't discuss them in any detail. Howard Florey was in medical research too, wasn't he? Yes, he did penicillin. Uh, no, I don't know about Cade's politics. I don't know where he stood politically. But he had a, he worked for long from the 50s, and I can't. Her name, oh, I'm having a mental blank. It might have been Shirley Andrew Arthur, or something, Shirley, Shirley something A. She was a CPA member, and she was a biochemist. And she was very close with Cade on a lot of his treatment processes in the post-war period. Well, he'd need a biochemist if he was talking about toxicology, wouldn't mm. he? And I come Shirley Sam. I know it starts with A, but she's... Don't like, worry about it. I do worry. That's <laughs> what I was right Yeah, on. but the listeners aren't concerned, mm. are they? No, but what I'm trying to say... It my, will come to you when you're not thinking about it. My message today is, you know, let's be aware of Australia's producing some great thinkers, and let's take pride in our great minds, you know? Let's not deride them as wankers, that sort of razzmatazz, but we've got some great leaders in world issues. And like John Cade is one of the great medical figures of the 20th century, and even in the US and Europe, he's revered still as someone who who made gra- what's the word groundbreaking advancements in his chosen field. We've had some excellent uh, doctors from Australia, med- medically medical people, medicos, whatever we like to call them. That's some really good ones. Well, Victor Chang was a great one, wasn't he? Yes, yes, he was. There's yes, a bloke. It was a bloke. It's a neuros neurosurgeon. I him. I didn't say it properly. It was on SBS seven nights. An Asian Sam chap. Teo. Yeah, another great Australian medic. And again, oh, why are we celebrating world these people? Mm. As with Cade and Flurry. Yes. As with how it was Victor Chang. Why are we celebrating and revering these names? You know? This is the quality of what happens when you can think and you you got these skills. Instead of saying, oh, "Let's let's look after you know, celebrities," let's and let's who, celebrate the thinkers. Um, came up with the penicillin. Howard Flurry. You think it was Howard Florey? I'm pretty sure it's Howard Florey. Well, if you know something else, listener, please give us a Absolutely. Ring I could be wrong. I mean, 94198377. And just leave a message at the front desk with our darling receptionist there and say, tell them. It so was Howard so, Florey. Or was it Howard Florey? Tell them so and so. was mm. also involved. A lot of people were involved mm. in um, penicillin, in the manufacture of it. And, the, you know, um, I'm just trying to think it was... Wasn't the Australian, wasn't the man, and when he was a man, mm-hmm. who made um, the vaccine for polio, oral vaccine, wasn't he Australian? Who was that? Salk. 
I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I'd like to know, but I don't know. I'm one of these people. I didn't have oral vaccine for anti-polio, listener. I did. I had a great big jab in my arm for, I a, both. Great big, for <laughs> a great big needle that they had. To, it took five people to carry the damn thing in. Yes, I exaggerate, but I was small. Two people. I was, yeah, and jabbed it in. It was quite... It was unbelievable, really. I had the pink, I had the pink medicine. I had a well, jab, too. The, well, they had very big jabs, and they made mm. you quite ill, the anti-polio. But we had to have it because there was a polio epidemic That's right. at the time. That's right. Even in my little school, we had three children affected. Three children affected. One of them died. Now, we've cured polio. polio in Australia, haven't we? A, apart... Well, no, because some people won't vaccinate their children against well, polio. Yes, I know that, but I'm not going to get into that sort of stupidity because those people, I think, I have, I do not. They can be, they are representative of the anti-intellectual thought process, the anti-vaxxers. And they should be charged with abuse to their children. I mean, they refuse to vaccinate And abuse to everyone else's children. But they're, they're the ones, they're the antithesis of the John Cage and the Howard Flores. They deny the importance of science being able to think, you know. I, I saw someone last week, I was reading somewhere, a campaign, <laughs> kidding you not, so I can't was New South Wales of a Gold Coast. You know how on the beaches the flags, don't swim inside the flags? Yes, don't, yeah, swim it's inside like, the flags, yeah. that's what they're They're for. saying it's rubbish. What's rubbish? The flags. Who, uh, who said that? Someone, I was reading somewhere last week, someone in, this bloke in Queensland or New South Wales, saying it's not accurate. You can't, you can't trust these flags. Why have the flags? It's, you know, like, well. <laughs> you can't trust the flags. So but, the answer but, is take them away. Correct. I mean, that's not science per se, but it's, it, that's the mindset. That's an example to me of anti-thinking, you know. Yeah. How ridiculous. The first thing you know in Australia, first thing you know <laughs> Absolutely. It, from the time you can walk, the time that you can paddle around in these shallows at Middle Park, when there were shallows at Middle mm. Park, when there was a beach at Middle yeah. Park, when you splash around in the shallows there when you're two years old, you know it's, it's imprinted on your brain. Absolutely. Swim between the flags. Don't go past the flags. Correct. And that's what you know. But someone's trying to say, no, that's all rubbish. <laughs> it's not accurate. Well, it let's work. hope that person then... I, well, all I can hope is that person then decides to go for a swim and there's an out, Ozark there. outside the flags and, an Ozark and there's no them. one around. <laughs> there's right. a rip. Yep. There's a rip out there. But, but never. And, and once again, another warning, listener, for heaven's sake, never, never swim on those beaches alone. When you see no. those beautiful, long, golden beaches, they're absolutely superb. It's sort of an image of Australia that people have, that we have overseas is, Beautiful, long, golden beaches mm. and empty. There's no one on them. Well, don't swim in them. You walk along up to your ankles, you know, paddle mm. along, but don't swim in them. And if it isn't because of rips and, and if it, I mean, if it is not because of the rips, if it is not because of the bloody sharks, it is because of the jellyfish. The box jellies. The box jellyfish, well, which like, will kill you within three minutes. It's like swimming in rivers. You're not aware where the snags are. Oh. You can't see the sunken trees. No. You can't You're see the bloody crocodiles either. No. But again, as I said, this intellectual, anti-intellectualism in Australia, that, that bloke from the One Nutter Party, about the NASA social world conspiracy about global warming. Like, Why do they publicise people? Why do they give them enough oxygen to repeat yeah, their Why stuff? do they get airtime? Why does someone so utterly stupid get airtime? Well, it's like, just to take a look at that one nutter senator, Hanson, why is she on the breakfast, breakfast show on Channel 7? Why is she always her. on there? That's they right. pay her. And they want to hear her talk her opinions. They pay her. That's right. 
she's been they've been paying her Dancing as, of Stars at, a Sunrise Show. No, they pay her hmm. on Sunrise as an authority authority on oh. terrorism. Oh, Can you I, imagine? Where's my, where's my is, medicine? This is enough to me to think it's enough for anyone to say, well, that's Channel 7, down the bloody gurgler. I won't watch it. The fact that I know they they funded her electoral campaign. Pretty much election so, yeah. campaign. They yeah. paid her to go on to Sunrise yep. and go, sometimes like it. Please explain. Twit, Asians are taking over Australia. Muslims have four wives. Sharia law in Australia. All Muslims have four wives and they wrought our welfare. And I don't like it. But again, and they're, Never did. And again that's the anti-intellectual mindset. There's no, it's, it's not, it's not facts here. It's an opinion. And we're encouraged to accept opinions, not facts, you know. You know, opinions mean nothing to me. You give me the facts, you do the research, okay, you can convince me. But you say, oh, I don't like this person I don't like him. Well, it's nothing to me. And again, that's what I'm saying. The importance of like remembering John Cade, Howard Florey, and rest other great thinkers. But Australians can sort of rise above that mediocrity, can rise above anti-intellectual thought processes, and create earth-breaking, you know, world-showing news and information and technology and mindset. And John Cade was a world leader in medicine. He was a great man for his time, you know. I'm trying to remember um, the chap who invented some terrific engine for the car. That was like uh, Lawrence Hartnett. Was it? But he couldn't get anything here in Australia. He had to go over. He had to go to Germany to do it. The same as our solar engineers. See, we had terrific solar engineers yeah. working. How to build solar panels? How to create solar energy? How mm. to put it? And. They were just, well, they had to go to Germany, of course, Germany now. And they're still in Germany. And they're still in Germany as Germany, the heart of the solar power. But because... We have the most natural solar in the world. They were scorned, but but we know why, because the coal companies have so much money and so much influence and so much power. The cuts to the CSIRO, which started under Rudd and Gillard, have continued under Abbott and, um, what's his name, um, Turnbull. I mean, they were, they've cut research, areas like Alzheimer's and cancer. Research on areas has been cut. They're no longer funded. So how can you learn, how can you tackle diseases if I'm being funded to learn these things? You know? And this shows the mindset. We're, we cut money for people who can think. I mean, goodness me. Mm. It's unbelievable, isn't it? When you well, think it's it, too believable. You think, what, what's... What's happened to Australia? What has actually happened to Australia? I mean, Alzheimer's is a growing disease. As we live longer, more people get Alzheimer's. You have cut funding to the CSIRO project on Alzheimer's. Like, what does that say? <laughs> what does it say about us? Does it mean we can have more Alzheimer's sufferers in nursing homes for big private wealthy investors? Is that the answer? Quite possibly. We know in the nursing homes that um, there's no, there's no, what's the word? There's no, there's no staffing ratios for patients. And nursing homes are lucrative. On the stock exchange recently, you've seen the big companies making even more and more money. So, yeah, more people with Alzheimer's, less treatment. Nursing homes, yep, yeah, big money to Liberal Party donors. <laughs> Makes sense to them, isn't it? It's, that's the mindset in Australia in 2016. And you worry, I worry about what, you know, what's the world coming to? It's what's Australia coming to? I did see, uh, did you see the Derek Fielding Memorial Lecture last week? No, please tell. It had President of the Australian Human Rights Commission. Oh, Julian Trigg. The absolutely wonderful, wonderful Professor Julian Trigg. She's good. She's superb. She singled out 2001 as the year that something went terribly wrong with Australia. That was a Tampa year. That's the year that something went terribly wrong. It was the year that John Howard, facing 
electoral defeat. A bad <laughs> Have a smashing electoral defeat. <laughs> he latched on to the 11th of September yep. attacks and then he brought up the so-called children overboard yep, yep. and the tamper. Reef the thief. And he redirected attention away yep. from the domestic economy and he focused instead on these issues of border protection. Well, and national security. We need border protection against some poor, bloody, suffering refugees whose countries will invade and cause wars in the first place. And these, the racists and the bigots who gathered around Paul and Hanson yeah, were legitimised. Yep, that's right. Refugees suddenly became potential terrorists, and they became real terrorists trying to invade our shores. They started off as coup jumpers. They ended up as terrorists trying to invade us. And, of course, we have the solution of Manus and Nauru. Yeah. And now, we're, of course, we're subject to these awkward, awkward Facebook posts from Tony Abbott. Oh, please, no, I, don't, I don't get him. Awkward. I don't get him. Um, the other word I can think of Horrible. is um, of, of him quoting Hanson oh, and telling us we must all respect her special brand of bigotry and ignorance. We must respect her bigotry but and this, ignorance. But this is very anti-intellectual stuff I'm saying. Well, we respect ignorance, you know. We respect people that can't think. And um, again, we have opinions dressed up as information. As I said, yeah, I don't like opinions. Give me... I work in the health field. I'm post-grade qualified. I like my facts. I do my research. Speaking yes. of facts and mm-hmm. research, don't forget, listeners, next Friday, which is the 16th of September, from at 6pm at the St. John's Church, Aikenhead Hall, St. John's Church, in Queen's Parade, Clifton Hill, there's a talk, it'll be the centenary, of Archbishop Daniel Maddox's first speech on conscription. So come along next Friday to Aikenhead Hall at 6pm in Queen's Parade, Clifton Hill. And here um, Rod Quantock, Val Noon and various others reminisce about Maddox and his views on conscription. Because, um, yeah, we, we have some great figures in Australia. Maddox wasn't born here, but Maddox was here for most of his life. and was, for a period of time, was a great thinker for quite a period of time. He was sort of kicked out to Australia, wasn't it? He was sent to one of the well, he was like, a, he was like a, He would be seen as a terrorist nowadays. Oh, of course he would be. Supported Sinn Féin, opposed the British in World War One. Like he, he, was a, he was a Bolshevik almost, you know? Yes. Which he certainly wasn't. But uh, next Friday at 6pm at the St. John's Aikenhead Church. St. John's Church Aikenhead Hall in Victoria Parade, well, Queen's Parade, Clifton Hill. And also to remind people, there will be a memorial for Sigrid Walker. That's tomorrow, and down in Port Melbourne at the end of the boardwalk. The boardwalk, which is adjacent to Station So it won't be under the boardwalk? So it would be on the boardwalk. On the boardwalk. And it will be... It's down, down by the sea. Down by the sea. And it will... Um, I. It'd be, it will be at 12.30. I interviewed that man from the Drifters... Oh, yes. Who's, who's saying, who's who's that? beautiful um, tenor voice saying over that. But I interview, I've got some fabulous photographs of me here in this, this very studio at 3CR. How great see the Drifters and the. Yeah, well, there's a few of those bands, those American bands in the late 50s, early 60s. But um, yes. The, those male singers, yes. But don't forget Cigarette Tomorrow. That's 12 o'clock. 12.30 down on the. End of the boardwalk at Port Melbourne. And don't forget next Friday. Smith Station Pier. And next Friday, your thing going on there. St John's Church. And I am going to go soon because I'm sure you'll have other listeners appearing very soon. But listeners don't go away because you'll have hopefully the bagman. Well, we won't be having the bagman. Won't we? we? No. I don't know. (laughs) Is Irene coming? I don't know. Good Lord, I've been told. Well, I'm like a mushroom. I know nothing. 
Well, I've been closing uh, nothing. It's because you don't actually follow what the bagman's up to. That world jet setting, world hopping, he's in Queensland at the moment with family. Okay, so he hasn't gone to Japan yet. No, that will be in a couple of weeks. Okay, well, he missed. He was going to Japan. He and Anne were going to Japan mm. to see the um, the cherry blossom to okay. be part of the cherry blossom festival. I'd love to be part of it to go to the cherry blossom festival too. Of course, I'm not all that fond of great crowds of twelve thousand people sitting in the on the. On, on the grass in the park, looking, drinking green look, tea, looking up at uh, cherry blossoms, but it really is a lovely time to go to Japan. And of course, mind you, everything costs three times as much because yeah. it's tourist season. But they were going, and then unfortunately, Bagman woke was up, crook, yeah. woke up at three o'clock in the morning and said to his partner, "I don't feel too good. I, no. I, I feel a bit cook." And later on in that morning, he was having um, mm, open heart surgery. Open heart surgery. The good thing is he's bounced back and he's doing well. So he hello, Bagman. He has bounced back, hasn't he? Hello, up in Queensland. Hello, and hello, Bagman. And I'll go. So I'll leave you listeners to the dulcet tones of Susanna Duffy and the Lift After Breakfast show. And until I return next Friday for some tales from our past, what more can I say than Shokula? Shokula. From every corner of the world They came from all around When in 1851 They struck gold upon the ground Every voyage was a long one Months upon the stormy sea Some to seek their fortune Others escaping slavery What they found on the gold fields Was ruled by brutish thugs Discrimination and taxation Mixed with swinging billy clubs The gold was getting scarcer And cops were getting worse The diggers burned their licenses And vowed to end this curse They swore an oath Beneath the southern cross They'd stand together And break the license laws From twenty different nations they gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the southern sun The crown tried to divide them, giving preference to some The diggers wouldn't have it, they said it's all of us or none They built a stockade while the redcoats massed nearby And they heard the miners shouting We're ready now to die The rebel miners waited For whatever lay in store And on one December morning In 1854 The redcoats attacked the camp Dozens there would fall Amongst these brave gold diggers Who'd risen to the call They swore an oath Beneath the southern cross They'd stand together And break the license laws From twenty different nations They gathered here as one In Ballarat beneath the southern sun The army thought it was over And things go their way But when 15,000 miners rallied a month later on the day The crown conceded everything All of their demands They'd won an end to license fees The right to vote and land So here's to Joe and Charlie Waller and the rest 
they drew the battle lines and put crown rule to the test. The diggers may have lost the battle, but they quickly won the day. And those shots fired in Victoria were heard 10,000 miles away. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From 20 different nations, they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the southern sun. They swore an oath beneath the southern cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From 20 different nations, they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the southern sun. I do love that song about Eureka. And good morning, Irene. Good morning, Ms. Susanna. Look, Irene, I, I And everybody to, else. Yeah, good I have to, Good morning, listener. I sort of aim for one listener. And I feel, well, there is one. I know there's one. At least one. one so I know there's one. <laughs> Apart, and my cat is listening this morning. The cat, oh. I left the little radio on so we could listen because he hears my voice, you see, and I suppose he yells back at me. But anyway, but anyway, I yes. wanted to say something about Mother Teresa or Agnes, what's her name, Agnes Goncha. Agnes yes, Goncha. The, <laughs> the fanatic yes. and a fraud. Yes. It's all it is, um, Irene, and listen, it's all I can see here is the elevation and, conscious, and concentration of extreme dogmatism, blinkered faith and the cult of a mediocre, nasty human personality. Well, yeah, that idea that people needed to suffer before it used they went to, to be, heaven. It used to be. Remember when um, the old, in the old days, back in the old days, to be a saint, you had to be nominated for beatification. Yes. And that you had, that's the first step to sainthood, and you had to wait at least five years until after that person had died and then at least 25 years before they were discussed being a saint. This was to guard against local sort of enthusiasm as in the case of um, St Maria Goretti. Oh, old St Maria Goretti, who, who, who the Catholic Church celebrated her being killed to protect her virginity. Yes, that's right. Yes. And, and, and I have three friends, three friends who... Um, had that as their confirmation name, St Maria Goretti. They took Maria Goretti as their confirmation. And my God. I took Teresa, St yeah. Teresa. But, uh, but it was only a year after that Mother Teresa, this ugly woman, died that uh, she was nominated for the beatification. And then you've got to have a miracle, at least you've got to have two miracles to yes, prove you're a saint. Yes. And, of course, surely any one with any brains or any respectable person who's still a Catholic, you cringe with shame at the fakery, don't you? This woman, <laughs> this woman in Bengal, this woman in Bengal, you know what she did? She said, she said, um, she had a picture of Mother Teresa on a wall and she said a beam of light came from that wall and fell right upon her stomach and that all of a sudden her cancerous tumour disappeared and that was the miracle. Strangely enough, uh, her doctor said she didn't have a cancerous tumour in the first place. <laughs> she did have a slight um, case of um, 
um, cystitis, but she was cured by a course of prescription medicine for that. But you know, but I mean, that, that's a miracle. Did they the, use that as the miracle? One that was miracles? that was the first miracle. The the second mm. miracle, I'm not sure if it's turned up or if it's just the the the, the same. But she wasn't a friend of the poor. She was a friend oh. of poverty. Yes. She liked poverty and she said, as you mentioned, suffering was a gift from God. Yes. And she spent her all her whole life, her whole life opposing the only known cure for poverty. And that's the emancipation of women from, from being livestock. She was against contraception, she was against abortion, of course. You yes. Know. My God, and she was. But also a, redu- reducing their suffering in, through she medication. Likes suffering. She and, really yeah, likes suffering. Yeah, and she thought they should have suffering. She, I don't think she suffered too much. Oh no! When she was <laughs> ill, she went straight to the west coast of the USA, and she was in some top hospital being cared for. Yes. It's where all all the, all the rich though. But she she but she was a friend to the very worst of the rich though. But what I wanted now is, and I still I asked this. When she died, I asked this, where is the money? Yes. Well, it wasn't spent on the suffering people. No, it wasn't spent on these. Because <laughs> they didn't have very good surroundings. They... No, they just had all these sort of things on well, the floor. Well, they all lived in, yeah, they just they all, all lived, no, lived together on the a, floor. A and score they, of them in one room lying on those little... Eating the best food in the world. No, if, if they were even fed, well, they yeah. lay there in pain. I'm sure that if you went there, you thought, oh, here's a nice place I can go to die, a nice hospice. No. She'd, no. she'd sit down and watch them in poverty and watch, and watch their pain. Yes. She got off on pain. Now, there's a word for people who do that. I'm not going to use it, really. That's silly. But many more people are poor and sick because yes. of Mother Teresa Agnes. Mother bloody Teresa. Actually, I remember at school being shown a, a film about uh, Maria Goretti being killed by the gardener. Uh, who was finally released from prison, mind you, yeah, he was, many, many, many years He later. was ill. He had yes. some problems. She was uh, raped and murdered. Yes, she was. She to, was sadly, sadly, it happens to many young girls. It does. But, uh, but the Catholic Church uh, held her up as a saint because she resisted, and she resisted to the death from being raped. Like and, I'm sure uh, every other bloody raped and murdered woman. <laughs> Do you think they said, yeah, okay, I'll put my hands up, you win? Well, yes, except some some people, um, you don't actually fight them as, they, as I didn't when somebody entered my house with a knife and a stocking mask. Uh, I didn't attack him because physically he could have overwhelmed me in a moment and killed me when my son was upstairs. So we don't all uh, fight to the death. And I think that that was a, is such a bad example because it makes women feel guilty if they haven't been killed in the in the act of being raped. And uh, I distinctly remember that film when I was a child. Well, I'm not, I wasn't. Yeah, well, I was a child still, and I was in secondary school. But uh, you know, they tried to have us believe that you had to fight to the death, you had to die, rather than being raped. Yeah, because the sin was being raped, wasn't it? The sin wasn't the rape. It wasn't the violent rape by some revolting man. It was the sin of being raped. You were yes. raped, so you were the sinner. You didn't put up a big enough fight if you're still alive. Oh, for God's sake. Well, you I know. must say, I must say, um, Irene, dear, I have not seen that film. 
I didn't see that. Glad can, you didn't. I can tell you every other film I saw in school that was put up for me was to enjoy seeing our films. No, we got no. a bit tired of seeing Quo Vadis for oh, the hundredth yes. bloody, it, and that's yes. one of the worst films of all time. But what we really did like, and I hope you like this one too. Listen, if you haven't had a chance to see it, have a find it somewhere. Ill Met by Moonlight, starring Dirk Bogart. You're kidding me! You oh, saw films we like that, that at school. Oh, we, we oh. were all in love oh. with Dirk Bogart. Oh yes, in I his, love um, Dirk Bogart. In his little frilly, his, his little Greek skirt. It was all about um, fighting in the hills oh, against they didn't show the us anything like that. ill met no. by moonlight, which is a quote from the Iliad. I think but, we saw the Ten Commandments. Oh, um. and we saw. Um, <laughs> Gilbert Rowland a number of oh, times in that lucky. film about um, what's the one with the three children? Fatima. Oh, about oh, the yes. miracle of Fatima. Uh, yes, I yes. get confused. There were the three children at Fatima. Yes, and um, we're, those we're three boring you, aren't sickly we? Yes. children, and <laughs> there is also the other woman at Lewitt's. That's right. People still go to Lewitt's. Yes, they do. To to, to uh, get the magic waters, the waters that are going to uh, yeah. uh, cure them of their... Uh... They're not cured, though, are they? No, but so some claim claimed that they are. Probably by a beam of light coming from a photograph <clears throat> on the wall. The bag man told me, though, that he saw someone cured at Lewitt's. Oh, yes. He did. He saw there was this chap in a wheelchair that he got was wheeled in any fit. No, but his wheelchair <laughs> suddenly got Michelin tyres, great big shoes, big tyres. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a bad story. That'd be a bag, yeah. Now, um, actually, Tool of the Week is going to be a double a double up this week. Uh, I'd have to say, Sam Dastiari, you're a tool, but uh, also Julie Bishop because of all the things she's accepted from the Chinese. And I have to say, I'm really a little bit over how we're demonising the Chinese. Uh, I don't know whether people know, but uh, the foreign uh, ownership of land in Australia is at about 14%, and about 1% of that is by the Chinese, less than 1% is by Chinese people. So I think there's a bit of hysteria around at the moment about Chinese uh, having a... uh, Oh, look, it's one of those things. Uh, that, hold over us. Well, we're told that they own all, all, all of Australia, don't we? 90% of Australia they own. Yeah. It used to be yeah. USA that owned 90% of well, Australia. They own, a, I think the USA owns a lot more than the Chinese and the yeah. British would too. I mean, the Chinese own a very, 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 very small proportion of, of, yeah. the, of the small proportion of land owned by overseas entities. That's what <clears> Sam Dastari is that the way you pronounce his name? Destiari, I Destiari. Suppose, yes. That's what Sam did wrong. He mentioned the South China Seas when he said, and I have it here, he said yes. the South China Sea is China's own affair. On this issue, Australia should remain neutral and respect China's decision. And I absolutely that's agree with did, him. But, that's but it's not Labor. Wrong. Yeah, it's not Labor Party um, policy. But I agree with him. That's what he did wrong. <laughs> Let's yeah. keep out of it. It's not ours. And that's what left him over to charges of cash for comment. I would have thought it was just a normal. Logical thing to say, well, it's not really our business, is it's it? Not. It's not. <laughs> let's not get into another fight on behalf of the US because the US has got its knickers in a knot about the Chinese trying to establish some sort of defence, I would think, in the South Pacific, given that the US has got it all over the place. And I think the Chinese are quite rightly a bit paranoid about what the United States might do in the future, given it, well, it's given invaded the, half of the world by this stage. In the, <laughs> in the 20th century, 
there was only one year that that the USA was not in someone else's country killing them. There yeah. was one year mm. that they weren't at war with some other country. Yeah. And they were liberating people with spears. They, they were liberating them with their big weapons. Yes. People, men waving spears at them. If you look at Central America, uh, all those countries that they intervened in, um, <clears throat> uh, let, you know, putting aside for the moment just about the whole of the Middle East, um, that uh, they've inter- intervened and interfered. And they interfered in Chile uh, and with the CIA. I mean, and, and they went to war in Vietnam. I mean, it's everywhere. Granada. Uh, Granada. How many people in Granada? 20,000? <laughs> Something like that. I mean, it's... it's. But they liberated them. They, but everybody um, seems yeah, to they think... They came with their warships yeah. and warplanes and liberated them. Uh, you and bomb yeah, them, that, that's what liberates yeah, them. Yeah, that's right. You go and bomb the hell out of them, bomb them back to the to another age, and then you get all excited because they're in chaos, like Iraq is, like Afghanistan is, oh. like oh, <laughs> Libya there are is. There you can they intervened up. in Libya and... And they're trying to pretend that they intervened in a civil war in Libya. The whole thing didn't start until the United States went into Libya. So it's it's a beggar's belief as to how people would support all of that stuff and and, and now be so paranoid about China that, uh, putting to bed aside, because that's a different argument, have never invaded any other country. They've been invaded themselves by the Japanese, who were, and now the Japanese, of course, are our best friends. We're talking about the Japanese as being our best friends. They invaded Australia. They invade, invaded China. They were brutal. They invaded Russia. Did they? Invade yeah, everyone, didn't and they? they were brutal. Um, but now they're, they're our best friends. So it's all for me. I just think it's all just a nonsense. So everybody, just calm down, please. Yeah. Well, I would like to see the same hounding. That Sam Destiari had for his, yes. was it $1,600? Yes, 1670 or yeah, something. Yes. For that, for what, what, what was it, paying for a, a, a room overnight or something? I would like to see the same attention given to um, Julie Bishop, the foreign minister, accepting many personal gifts from the Chinese. And I would like to talk about... Um, the money that was donated to her, the branch of her party in Western Australia there. Yes. And that not just her personal gifts. I mean, a frock is pretty personal. Oh, but, you know, I think I mean, so. I mean, <laughs> you, well. I mean, you don't give a frock to a party. Like, you don't give 10 Rolex watches to a party. You give them to the men, don't you? And they were men. You give them to yes. the men. That's their personal donations. And yeah. they say, oh, we can't have personal donations. Yeah. Well, bloody clean out the beam in your own eye. Well, what is, about is the NRL? I think so, yes. A smite or a beam or a smote, a smote in Remove the eye. Remove the beam or, from your yes. own eye before you castigate your neighbour. Well, I think, uh, what's his name, um, the Deputy Prime Minister? Uh, what's his name? Uh, I've forgotten his name. Oh, Banana <laughs> Oh, he's Gina up. Reinhardt has given him lots of stuff, like lots NRL tickets, oh, and a bit more than that, isn't it? Uh, well, he, he, Gina Reinhardt paid for he and uh, Ms. Bishop, I think, to go to her wedding or a wedding or something in another country. I'm getting a bit vague about it now. Um, oh yes, the Indian um, wedding in India. That's the same. Yes, who has the mine. 
Yes. Up, up, up on the Barry Reef. Yes. Yes. That's right. But that's got nothing they, to do with it. No, of course no. not. No. But, he, it, but uh, Banana Bee certainly had personal gifts, not just money. Someone, look, but they, everything was paid they, for them to go to the wedding. Yeah. They didn't pay for themselves to go. Everything was paid for them. Uh, but we've got also got Corey Bernardi, who was has been pretty brutal in attacking Sam Destiani, Destiani, um, and he's got a fundraising entity that's. Oh yes, he's got the, a secret his, fundraising yes, thing, hasn't he? Yes, yes. Well, you don't have to reveal who you are, and it permits gifts from foreign donors. Gifts. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, I want one of these Let secret fundraisers. he who is without sin or she who is without sin cast, cast the first, first stone. stone. I knew I was somewhere. They were talking about beams in the eye. I was probably thinking <laughs> of stones in your eye. Remember the old days of the slingshots, you know, that we used to wrap around as kids mm. and chuck yonis at people. Ah, well. But, I mean, we have a pretty bloody lackadaisical <laughs> approach to the role of donations in politics, don't Very. we? Very. Uh, mm. But it's no good certain people... Ram going off the deep end about it when the opposition or somebody else does it when they've been doing it everybody's been doing it it's not just a and and I do think he was pretty stupid for doing what he did anyway but uh, if you uncovered everything that uh, that happened there wouldn't be too many of them who uh, haven't accepted parties I mean haven't accepted something from somebody so something uh, just did you hear that bell. No. Well, it was ringing in my head, I think. The oh. bell just sort of rang. <laughs> and I thought, and I remembered a teddy bear. Yes, there was now, a teddy bear. No, Mick but Young. I thought that was Mick Young. Yeah, there was Mick a te- Young and brought a teddy, teddy bear in and didn't, didn't, um, uh, didn't uh, declare. declare it. Was that it? Yes. It wasn't a gift from some... No, no. I think he came through, and uh, he came through and didn't didn't declare it. It was Carrie. Was it Paddington? Wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Uh, So, uh, and did he resign over that? Yes. That was a huge stink about the Paddington beer, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes. It was a while ago, but still, just oh, (laughs) not like a Rolex watch, is it? uh, No, not in that league, actually. Yeah. No. And it was last year we were talking over here about that bloody Rolex watch. But then again, who are we to question things after all, no. Irene? We are the taxed knots. That's aren't true. We? That's true. And we I have am. no. Yeah. I shouldn't be saying, have a, I shouldn't have a voice actually because I'm a tax knot. Perhaps and, we uh, could stop paying GST on yes, everything. That's true. But how do we do that? You don't buy it. <laughs> you don't buy it. Well, not that we can afford to buy much. No. When you're a tax knot, you don't have much spare cash. Uh, no. Around. But it's a different thing. But men, as we know, people on the lower your income, the greater the proportion of GST you pay. Exactly. Of course. And mm. if they want to increase the GST, it's going to put some of us out of business altogether. I only just made it to, uh, to my uh, pension day yesterday, this week. I was scrambling, <laughs> scrambling in the food department this week and uh, you've just got to be so careful. I'm not asking for pity, but I'm just saying it's not easy. No, it's funny <laughs> not. And it won't be any easier coming, coming up soon with all the slashes to um, payments and, you know, well, they're getting rid of, you know, they're getting rid of the disability payment. That's uh, going. Yes, well... It's uh, 
it's all very it's all very difficult. And the problem is that they're not um, uh, the disability. Uh, what's it called? The support. The disability new, support. The new network thing that's supposed oh. to come out that the Gillard government uh, put together. Um, they're not funding it properly, no. so it's been an absolute disaster. No, and so if they're taking people off the disability pension and supposedly yeah. putting them on the this new disability thing, and That's, it's not yeah. functioning properly, no, it's not functioning. Everybody's going to be in strife. Yes, but then again, you say you have to look at it this way. You have to look at it through the eyes of Scott Morrison <laughs> and ask this question: Does God want you to be rich? That's true. I think God doesn't want me to be rich because I haven't exactly been a good girl. So I'll uh, I'll die poor. But that's all right. I prefer yeah, to die of, poor than be a good girl. Yeah, but of course, <laughs> but of course, Scott Morrison. I said he's one of those. He's a happy. He's clapper a happy clapper. Or holy and, roller, or and whatever he believes that. in predestination. If you're born yes. poor, that's your fault. If you're disabled, that's your fault. Yes, you've done something. Possibly even in some other life, you've offended God. God only loves the rich. Yes. But you know, when I first heard me talk about the tax knots, you know what I thought? I thought, oh, beauty, beauty. They're going to get all those buggers. You know, it's wonderful. It, he's re- the treasurer means the churches. They're going to make the churches pay tax. They're going to make the mining magnates pay some tax. And yes. they're going to make the media moguls and the corporations and all the politicians who wrought the public purse, they're going to make them pay tax. I'm not holding my breath. But I couldn't have been more wrong. What he meant was the really poor, the tax not so <laughs> welfare recipients. And he labours under this misapprehension. Well, I can only say it's a misapprehension that if... If you take what little money they have from them, then that restores the budget to surplus. Yes, and also he probably is of the view, like the new saint is, that um, that the poor should suffer. Yes. <laughs> Don't feed them uh, and uh, make them suffer for yes. whatever sins they're committing, yeah, just by being poor. Well, God made them poor. And this uh, Pentecostal outfit that he belongs to believes God wants everyone to be rich. And if you aren't rich, it's because God doesn't love you. And if God doesn't love you, you deserve what you get. Has he or said rather, that? Or rather what you don't get. Has he said that? No, but the church does. It's their predestination. Do oh, oh, it's okay. So it's your fault. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I blame. I well, don't know what I blame for me being poor. Myself, probably. Yes. Well, I'd like to it's my see fault. that. Um, I didn't earn enough money in my life. I wonder why we're paying $55 million for two, um, you know, refugees to live in Thailand and then they gave it up. Uh, I don't know why we're coughing up $160 million for a marriage equality plebiscite, which is a total waste of time. A plebiscite does nothing to the law. Well, it there just, is a suggestion now that uh, that uh, it be um, it be made a plebiscite that is the end of it, so it doesn't have to go to parliament. So the plebiscite, if it passes, is then go is then accepted as the new law. It's only an opinion. The plebiscite. No, opinion. no, but there's been discussion that it would mm. come could be legal to um, to uh, make it so that the plebiscite you can't they can do that through parliament. Make it that the plebiscite well, Howard, is the final word. John Howard didn't have to worry about bloody plebiscites or anything when he changed the words of the Marriage Act. Back in 2003, I think it was when he changed the words of the, the Marriage Act yes. to carefully put in there between man and woman. Yes. 
and that's he didn't need any anything. He just no. did it. But now this one says, "Oh no, we're we're going to ask the people." Well, yeah. we know what kind of foul stuff's going to come out of some of the. Now before before we have to go, I want to say. Just something quick about the burkini and the burka mm-hmm. and all that, and I might say a bit more next week. But there's been an ex- there's an excellent uh, opinion article in the Age today by Julie Sago, uh, who um, uh, really does say uh, very very articulately uh, that she doesn't she doesn't defend banning, but she's against it because it makes her feel uncomfortable. And she goes on to say. Um, some very good, very good arguments about why uh, we shouldn't accept that clothing. And um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, because it makes her feel uncomfortable. No, no. But she says, um, and and she she does quote Vows, uh, who is the uh, president of the uh, of France, um, <clears throat> that. The garment is a provocation. It's it's a symbolic of a regressive and proselytising Islam, hostile to Western values. And I agree with that. If we do not name this pernicious ideology and grapple with its threat, the xenophobes in Europe and elsewhere will benefit from the rising tension. Now, the burkini wears its politics on its long sleeve. The garment embodies the idea that female flesh is shameful, an invitation, that a woman must police herself, that she's responsible for controlling male desire. And that's what it's all about. Like, like little Maria Goretti. Yes. And this yes. is the Islamic side of it where women have to cover up their hair at the very least, but also their bodies. Um, their, and, and so you can't see the form of their bodies. Certainly can't uh, expose any of it. And uh, <clears throat> it seems to me that... Uh, And she says, I fully accept that unlike her sisters living under tyrannical Islamic regimes in Saudi Arabia, Iran, et al., the Western Muslim who wears a bikini may have made a free choice. And this is the thing that drives me insane, is that there's Western women going, oh, yes, but we think it's a good idea because I feel like I'm comfortable in it and I don't have to worry about men looking at me. Well, for goodness sakes, you're the one then who has to make yourself a non-person. Has everybody in it, anybody ever tried to have a long discussion with somebody in a burqa? That woman has become a non-person. And I'll leave it at that because I could do a rant next week yeah, or something you if you like. And I'd be interested if yes. anybody wants to have a say about it really and send me messages or whatever. No but in the meantime, we really We're have to going. go. We're over yes. time. We'll oh, go out. No, that's unusual. We'll go out the same old way. Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast.